mean, I was ready to pay, but nobody was willing to or had the skills to do what I wanted to do. And at some point, I received an email from Max and he's like, hey, uh, I met with these guys. They gave me your email. I think I can do your project. And I was like, dude, where are you? He's like, I'm at uh, a Presse Café next to ATS. I'm like, don't move. I'll be there in two hours. I was in Ottawa. Welcome to Montreal Startups, a show where we cover local, innovative, fast-growing companies and the inspiring stories behind them. On today's show, we talk to a finalist for EY Entrepreneur of the Year and the co-founder and CEO of Softdesk, Lenny Moreno. If you're listening to this in Montreal, you may not know much about the solar industry. That's partly because we live in a city where gray skies are as common as orange cones and potholes but also because hydro is relatively inexpensive here. But if you live in the U.S., especially in sunny states like California and Florida, solar energy is a massive, massive industry. Now, believe it or not, there's more to the solar industry than Elon Musk and SolarCity. There are actually hundreds and hundreds of manufacturers, suppliers, roofing installers, insurers, and much, much more. Having first worked in the solar industry and then starting his own solar installation company, Lenny saw firsthand what solar energy was all about. Now get this, while renewable energy is notoriously efficient, oddly enough, the industry itself is actually quite inefficient. So leave it up to a young, hungry, motivated entrepreneur like Lenny to buckle down and do something about it. Now when you meet Lenny for the first time, he may catch you a bit by surprise. He tells it how it is, he practices what he preaches, he cares deeply about his company culture, and he loves, and I mean loves, to inspire people. Oh, and Lenny's first job, by the way, he was a busboy, and busboys are also no stranger to hard work. In my first job, I was a busboy. So I worked in the, in the back of the kitchen and I was just scrubbing. And the first thing I was doing, and I remember I was like, 15 years old and I was just I was counting the amount of plates you know I was looking at all the all like the the the, the silverware and the oven and what's the brand of the oven and I would write all this stuff down I was like you know I can own this restaurant you know and I could build my own but I didn't think about financing and all this stuff back then but like I always had the spark to you know work at some place and believe in my head that I can own you could replicate the the, the, the business, so you you were just taking notes of how what supplies you needed to to, yeah, to build yeah. the same business. Yeah, that's what I was doing. But the problem is that when you're young, you don't understand everything, and you have big dreams. But when you have no access to financing, or I would say great surroundings, or you have obligations to pay things. Um, there's a lot of things that can come in between you and your dreams, but so that's so that's kind of uh, where I started, just a busboy, and um, I worked in restaurants and I had um, I had so many jobs, man. You wouldn't even believe. Like I've worked, uh, had more than 30, 35 jobs. Thirty-five jobs. Yeah, and they're jobs. They're all, not careers, all part, right? All part-time jobs, just to some full-time. Right, some full time, but um, but the 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 hourly type jobs rather. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. The the the. I mean, it's no surprise that I got kicked out of all of them, you know. And it's not me that has some uh, 
some attitude problem or everything. It's just that I was uh, subconsciously creating a situation to get fired because deep inside my heart, I did not want to work there. So it's not even that I was doing it on purpose. It's just that I feel that my faith is guiding me to do things that will put my future in a specific position. And every job that I had, it was that. It was if I didn't fit, I would just do things without even realizing. But it's because I did not belong there. Was that easier for you than just quitting the job? I mean, maybe I always needed money, you know? Yeah. So when you need money, it's like you don't want to leave it, but... You know, you still need like the cash and checks. So I did some compromising. But overall, I mean, it's it's that whole that whole path that got me to, you know, start my first company and right. so on and so forth. So so tell me about that first company. So it's it's in the, the, the solar industry. What was that first company called? Where'd you get that idea? And what inspired you to, to start your, your first company? You know, my first real company, we'll say like real company that was incorporated and all that. It was, it was, um, it was 54 Solar. Um, and 54 Solar was an installation company. So we would do the sales, the installation, the procurement. So that's just to clarify, this is the installation of, of solar roofing. Of uh, solar panels. Solar panels. Right. Yeah. So I would generate leads. I would... I would contact the lead. I would create a quote for the lead. I would visit, do the site assessment. Then I would close, hopefully. And once it's closed, I would deal with the distribution company. I would get the materials, deal with an electrician, deal with some, some uh, deal with some um, uh, subcontractors, and I would do everything in order to complete that project have the solar panels install and have the, um, the homeowner to either save money or make money with solar panels. And that was essentially my first, my first company. I did that for a little bit over a year and a half. Prior to that, I used to sell for a solar company. Right. So you must have had experience in the, the solar industry to, yeah. to start a business in this space. Right? Yeah. So I used to sell for a company in I was Montreal. on the road. Um, well, the company was based in Montreal, but all the deals were in Ontario. So I would be on the road like most of the week, just driving to Ottawa, Toronto, Coburg, uh, like name it. But I did some driving <laughs> and I was just closing deals and that was my job. I mean, and so I, you're in sales. For, I was in sales for in the solar. Did you find a, a connection with with the solar industry, with the clean tech, renewable energy? Did that speak to you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there is a there's an element that a lot of people, they don't realize, but what they're doing for a living, what's, you know, like you work, what, maybe 70% of the day. And where are you putting all this energy? And are you, are you just putting the energy to, I don't know, have more people to drink Sprite or like whatever it is. But in my head, I was like, well, I'm actually helping this you know, this carbon footprint problem and this climate change problem. And it spoke to me and I was like, you know, we're helping the planet. Yeah. Like that's how I felt at the time. And I still feel like that, but I feel even more with deeper layers than just climate change. So, you know, it spoke to me. Um, there was a lack of technology at the time. So that's where I, I started to reinvest the money I would make in installations to um, develop the software. 
and then I transitioned out from the installation business and I incorporated SoftDesk in uh, December of 2013. So you're realizing at 54 Solar and I guess even before that there, there's kind of a, a long cycle here from uh, you know finding a lead, closing the lead, well quoting and closing the lead and then the whole installation process that comes after and I guess after sales services and everything there's there's a lot of moving parts here. So I guess tell us how that inspired your idea for Softdesk and at the same time tell us give us a rundown of what is Softdesk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um the whole breakdown is that there was some technologies that would do the design. There was some technologies that did some of the calculations. There was some technologies that did some of the project management piece. There was some technologies that would do the financing, but nothing had everything together. So Softdesk, which is the mother company, has launched its first product, which is SolarGraph. And SolarGraph, what it does is not only we're going to be able to find a lead, so a homeowner that's interested in going solar, but we're going to have all the components inside the same platform where you're going to get the lead, land on an aerial imagery of that roof, be able to draw from any device where you want to have solar panels. As soon as that drawing is complete, you have a breakdown with a proposal, a bill of materials, savings, financing options, project steps, e-signature, permit sets, everything you need to complete the job at your fingertips. So what we do is that we resolve a massive headache problem of having six logins of things that are you know, so outdated, uh, not user friendly, not mobile friendly, that are, you know, that requires a lot of training uh, and it's becoming obsolete. So we're at the forefront of technologies. We've incorporated AI and in most of the stuff that we do, we automate essentially most of the process. So we make it easy for anyone who's like, you know what, I want to start a solar company, use SolarGraph. SolarGraph has everything you need to not only start your business, but scale your business because you get to be structured, you get to be organized, you have access to financing options, you can do everything in order to make sure that your solar projects are taken care of. So your clients are are other businesses, solar businesses that uh, uh, from small to, to medium sized companies, I imagine. Um, so basically, what you're doing is you're taking all these uh, individual components that that come along with being a solar contractor, and you're combining them together into one platform. Um, now there, there's a lot of there's a lot of tech here. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of moving parts. What when you got this idea and you decide to, to execute it? What is your first step? Being a your background being non technical, how did you know where to start at, at that point? How do you know my background's not technical, man? <laughs> being in sales yeah, for, yeah, no, for feel, so yeah, you're on the road a lot, unless yeah, you're yeah. on the road and learning code at the same time. No, no but you you are absolutely right. And 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 you know anyone who thinks that. They can start a business and do it all themselves is kidding themselves. You need to make sure you surround yourself with whoever that's missing in your mind. So in my mind, I have a lot of leadership skills with sales, some marketing skills, but I don't have the tech. I don't have any of the tech and I don't even have structure. So I need to be surrounded by some people that completes me. So I, I looked and looked and looked for a good like a solid software engineer at the time, which I wanted to subcontract at first, but then I quickly realized it's like, man. It's expensive. It's not only that it's expensive, but. You want it in-house. Yeah, they, ne they will never commit their lives to the project if they don't have real incentives. So it's like, listen, 
I'll give you X amount of percentage of the company, you jump on board. And you're looking for a co-founder, a technical co-founder. co-founder. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I was able to find Max. And Max is still with us. He's our CTO. And uh, how did you find Max? Oh my God. I went to a whole bunch of events. I've asked all my network and I've I passed a whole bunch of interviews. I, I mean, I was ready to pay, but nobody was willing to or had the skills to do what I wanted to do. And at some point, I received an email from Max and he's like, hey, uh, I met with these guys. They gave me your email. I think I can do your project. And I was like, dude, where are you? He's like, I'm at uh, Presse Café next to ATS. I'm like, don't move. I'll be there in two hours. I was in Ottawa. And two out from Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> You're so on, I went. You got to get there as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. So I just went and and I met him and we sat down and I was closing a deal on the phone while I was like, wait, wait, you know, I'm just I'm just finishing the sales. Yeah. That looks good. Yeah. So he was like, shit, like, because he doesn't have the sales. So he was like, man, like this guy has the skills to sell and seems like a like a hungry guy. So. We kind of clicked, but uh, it took some time for him to eventually get on board like fully because he's super talented. So I'm curious about this process because there's there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that that have the ideas that want to get in tech, start a startup, but they're non-technical and finding a technical co-founder is challenging because you know ideas are a dime a dozen so i'm curious what you what, what was your approach to trying to sell these uh these software engineers to come on board are you approaching them with a pitch deck are you approaching them like what is your approach and what ultimately did it for max what would he say today is what did it for him that sold it for him to come on board yeah truth be told it's traction man you got to show traction and you know powerpoint like the powerpoints are more for the investors the the traction is also for the investor but for the developer they need to feel like they're in good hands in terms of revenue coming in and you being able to sell that stuff so so that means you have to find a way to sell you've built some sort of mvp beforehand correct correct. which is also a valuable lesson to entrepreneurs to you know to do and and start selling before you find and uh, start recruiting investors you you, you need to prove the model prove the market get some product market fit so how were you doing the initial closing without a platform to sell i mean i had the basics at the time which was um I had a small platform that would generate leads. So I was matching homeowners and contractors. So that was super easy to build. So that Max wasn't even a founder at the time. So he was just like, he helped to build a platform, but he wasn't officially a partner. Mm-hmm. So I showed him that I was able to get a whole bunch of contractors on board, starting to generate revenue. And then he, he looked at the opportunity and what I was looking to do is to build like a real SaaS platform, which was like, you know, uh, all of the, all of the proposals and all of the, um, all of the design stuff. So he made it his, his year end project and he showed that to his class and all that. And then people are like, wow, this is like some cool stuff. And he just, uh, and at some point I made him an offer and I was like, look, you're either in or you're not. And and he uh, 
and he took maybe a week to think about it and then he jumped in. But so it started as kind of an informal relationship. It was like a subcontractor. Right. But at some point he he realized and that's strictly by taking risks and showing traction. The only way I was able to get where I am today is showing traction and walking my talk. Because what I do is that I procrastinate and I say stuff and I say stuff, but I say it so much that I make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like my internal mechanism. So even if I don't have like something that's completed now, I say that I have it and eventually I have it. And it's been like that all the time. And it's so rare that I leave one thing in the air because when I'm really committed to something, it's like, I'm going to make it happen. So yeah, how, how much time did Max or you and Max together spend building the, the software and, and what did launch day look like for you guys? Well, we've launched it officially, I think, April 2017. No, sorry, April 2016. Okay. I mean, it was all because I've just incorporated in December 2013. Right. And then we started to generate leads in 2014. Then uh, 2015 was more leads and more development, more reinvestment there. And then in 2016, early, we, uh, we've launched and we were in talks with some investors at the time, which we've declined. And, and that's when I did my drive. That's when I left. So as soon as we launched live, I said, fuck it, I'm going on the road. I'm going to meet with some U.S. installers. Uh, I, we need to gain some traction. So I drove from Montreal to L.A., Stopped at like drove from Montreal to LA. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I stopped at like 17 or 18 spots on my way. Uh, it took two and a half weeks, and I met uh, these 17 or 18 contractors. And I said, "Listen, this is the live version. This is how it works. Do you want to sign up?" And I believe out of 18 meetings, I signed like 17 of them. Wow! Or out of 17, I signed 16. I don't remember the exact number, but so it was. Did you have appointments with these with these guys, yeah, or yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So no, no, you I cold called them and say, said, I'm, "I'm on the my way." I'm the founder of this company. I want to, I want to show you how it works. I want to do a full demo. I want to get your feedback. I want you to be part of the founding process of SolarGraph. And you know what? They were down because I used to be a contractor. So I'm talking your language. You're talking my language. Right. We're all good. We'll have a beer. We're gonna draw on this on this little iPad, and if and if you like it, and if you like the concept, and if you want to scale your business with us, we're here for you. So I did that, got some traction, arrived in LA, stayed like four or five months over there, because 30% of the solar market is in uh, California. And before I left, uh, the whole sales team here, like we had like two or three people that were just selling on the phone. So while sales were being done on the phone. I was closing on the road and then I drove from LA to Florida and that's where I met um, the, the current investors that we have. So I had a meeting there to pitch in front of all of their LPs and all that and I was... So this is all on the same trip. This, yeah. is, this is on your way back. So, yeah. so on the, the, the front leg of the trip was yeah. selling, closing, proof yeah. of concept, uh, grabbing some customers. The back end is like financing. Let's let's raise some money and let's let's hit the ground with this thing. Yeah, like let's scale the business the way this technology needs to be scaled. So I was convinced of it, and um, so then I pitched. It was in Key Biscayne, just south of Miami. It was their annual LP meeting, and I I was sick like a dog, man. Fuck, I was so sick. I don't know I was like probably something I caught on the way and um, 
or I was just tired and maybe anxious or stressed out because it's like you're building a business. I, I didn't even have like a location. I was like a you nomad. You didn't have a head office. <laughs> I was a nomad. You right. know what I mean? So, you know, we had our head office here, but I mean, I didn't have like a place to stay right, right. other than here. So, you know, sometimes there's doubt that will, you know, come in your mind. and But you use that to kind of face the harshest situations. And then when it's your time to shine and you're you're on the you're on the podium and then you're pitching your company then i was sick like like sick like you have no idea like no energy uh sweating and i was about to pitch and you know there was one of the lps that was like at my table and we kind of just like our energies connected and he looked at me and he's just like man can you like you're gonna pitch now and i'm like yeah yeah i want to pitch he's like wait here i'm gonna get you some some advils or something and he just went in his room and he gave me like two pills i don't even think they were advils i think it was some fucked up shit <laughs> and then like i just felt like a little like like a little kick then it was my time to speak and man i killed it like i was just like you know this is what we do we're hungry and these are the numbers this is where this is where this is going and you know what they were impressed and uh then in um, february of 2017 we've closed our series a round with these guys as leaders Entertech capital bdc capital that followed um what was the size of that round three million three million dollar series yeah. a series a correct did you have any seed money to get to this point or did you was that yeah. all bootstrapped well most of it was bootstrapped um the first check was uh like a silent investor, we'll call it, uh, who was uh, who was part of the business in the early days. So I went with a pitch deck to that guy, and I said, "Listen, this is what's going on. This is where we're going. You know, you're in or you're out type thing." And the same day, he wrote me a twenty five thousand dollar check. It was just like, man, I just believe in you, and I believe in this project. So often, I think that people invest in people, and everything else is fixable and a lot of people don't realize that that you know they look at like numbers and that's the problem i have with a lot of like financiers financiers will just look at numbers and they'll say number is this number is that so one plus one equals two but it's not always like that and some of the most successful guys that i know they're not numbers guys they're just hungry guys and where there's hunger and when your back is against the wall they always find a way forward and that's where my mentality is at. So, you know, sometimes there's friction when you're only looking at numbers and you're not looking at everything else, but it's because you don't understand everything else. It's okay. There's some people that are good with numbers. There's some people that are not good with numbers. I don't consider myself to be the one that's good with numbers, but I consider myself to be the hungriest guy in every room that I go at, every event that I go with, every people that are around me. I always feel that I'm the strongest and I'm the greatest in the room. And it's not because I am, it's because in my mind and in my heart, I am that guy. So when I convey that message, people are like, okay, like either he's way too full of himself or he's actually like the real deal, the real deal. And so far I have not disappointed anybody.
Hey guys, just a quick word from one of our sponsors, Breather, that helps make this podcast possible. Breather's mission is to empower companies with private workspace that helps them meet their full potential. Growing rapidly, Breather has a network of over 400 workspaces across 10 global markets available on demand for hours, days, or months at a time with no membership or subscription fee. To learn more, visit breather.com. This episode is also brought to you by KBD Insurance. KBD Insurance is a Montreal-based insurance broker specializing in commercial, car, and home insurance. We can all agree that insurance is more complicated than it needs to be, which is why KBD's team of over 30 brokers aims to simplify the insurance process for their clients. Check them out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or visit them at kbdinsurance.com. Life is chaotic. Insurance doesn't have to be. So, so you leave this pretty long trip or you come home from this pretty long U.S. trip um, having closed a bunch of clients and then also having closed a, a round of investment, I guess, shortly after. You, you get back to Montreal now, you have some fresh funding in the business. What's your next move after getting that, that influx of capital in, into the business? Well, first, uh, let me tell you, when I refreshed that login of the of the RBC uh, of the RBC business account, you know, shout out to RBC for, you know, for supporting me uh, to some level. The uh, the reality is that I was in a lineup for some event and I was alone, and then I was refreshing and I knew that the money was supposed to come in at some point, and then I refresh and I see it, and man, I just like ran and I did like a full circle. And I was just laughing and I, I came back to my spot and I was like, shit, like this is real, you know? And, and it, was, it was a happy moment because it wasn't about the money. It was about believing that I, like understanding where I'm from and knowing that I was capable of doing that when I'm well surrounded with the right people at the right time with the right plan and all that. So there's a lot of work that went into it, but uh, and and uh, but I guess at the same time you're telling yourself this is fantastic, but it's just the beginning now. Now I've oh I've, now the real work starts. Now yeah, the real work starts. absolutely. It's no, it's no like it's not like you know I'm going to Cabo for like uh, three months. You know, it's it, it, it's like it's real work, and I I always understood that. So what did you do with that with that funding? How, how did you deploy that initially? Well, it was it was it was mainly like just following a strategy. You know, you have a forecast, you have a budget, you have a you have a plan, and you have a hiring plan, and you just follow. You just follow through with the budget, and you make sure that hit your milestones. Absolutely. So it was more of like a strategic um, plan to you know deploy the capital in a in a reserved way, and we've done it very well, and we're able to you know triple our recurring revenue uh, since the investment. And um, and now we're in the new we're we're in a new round of funding, and we're gonna scale even more. And you know now we're like maybe 40 people, and we're gonna we're gonna be maybe a hundred in a in a year. So you, you are in the process of raising a, a second round of funding right now. So I guess there's not a lot of details you could share no, on that. No, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't share with all these. Uh, all these NDAs going on and, uh, you know, the different parties that we're talking to uh, until it's 
announced publicly. Yeah, there's a due diligence uh, period, and the due diligence requires uh, a lot of silence. Hence, why you know I can't release a lot of stuff, and I mean. It's just like when financing is happening, you focus on financing. Right. Once financing is completed, then you know you do all the all the stuff that's like you know operational. Yeah. So what, what what's your relationship with investors in general? I'm not I'm not asking you about your specific relationship with your current investors, but what what is your uh, sentiment towards uh, taking in venture capital and what's your advice to, to other entrepreneurs? Yeah, well, I think that if you want to scale as an entrepreneur, you must, um, if you're not capable of uh, organically scale, which is possible, but is long, if you want to scale quick, um, I suggest that you go with venture capital. And the trick with venture capital is that it's not just about taking money. It's about uh, it's about taking like a strategic player that can help to get you there. So these people will help to create a board, have independent members that bring strategic value inside that board, and then opening doors, big contracts, these enterprise deals, um, you know, advisors, um, you know, people in high places. These people are connected. So, so they, you're looking for smart money. Wait, smart money that, all that, the time. That's the proper oh, way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart money. Money. There's it's it's the only way to do it. If you're just looking for money, I mean, you know, there's plenty of solutions out there, which is uh, you know, you can go to banks, you can go debt, like whatever that you. If you don't want to dilute yourself, but the thing is that when you dilute yourself, you have to tell yourself, hey, like, do I want a hundred percent of I don't know, like a small thing, or do I want like, you know, 40, 50% of something that could be great? A lot bigger, right? So you have to be willing to uh, split the ownership. And see the big the big picture. The big see picture. The, see the vision down the All road. All the time. And my relationship with investors is great. I have a lot of great relationships, not only with the, with the current ones, but, you know, with the potential ones, and even ones that, uh, like it didn't work out in the past, but we... But we still keep a, a very good relationship because at some point you never know. You never know how things can work out. And I don't like to burn bridges. I like to just keep options open, keep um, keep like a natural communication flow that if ever I need something, if ever they need something, well, you know, a favor for a favor. And, you know, I took that straight from uh, from Godfather Part 2. <laughs> It's a, it's a real thing. I mean, it was done in the underworld at the time, but it's a real thing. Like if you apply just being generous and doing favors without expecting to get anything back, you're going to get stuff back. And that's where like, you know, a lot of people should remove the, right. the, 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 like the, self, you know, the selfish thoughts. There's no point in that. Mm -hmm. You 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 work hard. We could we could hear it from from what you've been saying, and and actually you've been recognized a lot for your entrepreneurial work, your uh, extracurricular work. Now a lot of people talk about sleeping in their office, and that might happen here and there. You know, they spend a night at the office, but you literally lived in your office for a long time. What was that period like for you? It was, um, you know, it had its. Ups and downs. 
but it's the reason why I'm here today is because I, I decided to embrace it. And I usually say that in some of my talks, how to like embrace the chaos. It's like, there wasn't any, well, I mean, there's no showers. I mean, you've used the washrooms here, there's no showers. So I had to walk to the YMCA and I had a membership, like the basic membership to just have access. And I would take my showers there. And even in the winter, I mean, it's shitty, you know, it's shitty. It's cold out. It's cold. Like you go to take a shower. I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes it was like three days, I, three days I would go without a shower because it was just like, fuck, man. But at the same time, like you're here and you're and you're working and you're you're in your element. But there was no privacy because even on Saturdays and Sundays, there's people coming in. So I would wake up like I could not afford a bender because I can't wake up at 10. That's insane. So I I mean, every time there was an event or something or a party or I would go if ever, like, you know, it would fit in my schedule. And I would always drink massive amounts of water towards the end of the night. And I would be prepared knowing in my mind that the next morning I have to wake up and I have to be sharp. So it was a lot of sacrifice, but it's, it's that that creates resilience. And it's these stories that makes that when I'm on the stage and when I'm talking, I fucking mean it because everybody else, you know, they want to you know, be influencers and they're like, I'm an influencer. I have like a million followers, you know, cause I have a nice ass or this or that, but it's, it's like, what are you actually doing? Where, where did you get the thickness of your skin? What have you done in your life? That's so inspirational that I can look up to and be motivated about. And I think that the people that have the luxury to be on the stage, they need to have something that's more than just like looks and style and material and money it's like you need to have earned it and once you earn you it that substance exactly because the substance is what you're giving back and our whole journey our whole journey like you and you me like all the people here the reason why we wake up in the morning is because we believe that we can contribute to something greater than ourselves that's the main reason the main reason why i wake up is is that i'm like i know i can do something for the world today and I'm going to do it. So it's not about me. It's about doing something that's right, that you feel it's righteous. So living at the office and doing that drive and hustling and struggling and, you know, didn't know how to pay like, you know, some, some, some rent and some pays and some stuff. It's like you earn that. Yeah. And once you go through them, a lot of stuff becomes easy. It becomes a lot easier, right? Going through those tough times. Of course. Um, we're we're recording in the the Alpro building in in Saint Henry. You walk through your office space here. You got about forty or so employees, um, and it's the, it's it's almost tangible the the company culture that's that's built here. How did you? What is company culture to you? And and what do you strive to to build in in your corporate not corporate but your uh, work environment here? I want people to get in. And I want people to be like, hey, I'm getting in today and I can be who I am as a real person, a real human being. I don't have to act because I know what corporations are like and I've worked there and I don't want to create that. And even at a larger scale, I don't want people to call themselves by, hey, Mr. Smith, how are you, doctor, uh, whatever, like all this, all this like politically correct stuff. It's good for some things. 
But in our world, in the software world, I don't think it has really much of its place. People need to feel like they can be themselves and, you know, not act a role. You know, I worked at the bank. I worked at the bank for two years and it was so fake, man. Like I would just get in and I was like, you know, I needed to call people by their last name sometimes, like Mr. or Mrs. And I was like, like, what is this? And I was young, man. I was young. I had my stockbroker's license. I was like 19 years old. And I was just like, I couldn't be myself. And I was wearing like my grand, like my grandpa's uh, a, a suit, looked like a pajama. I wasn't even fit. And like, I thought that I made it. You know what I mean? I thought I was up in that world, like in that elite rank. When all I was was just some soldier, right. like a robot that was just placed there to not to bow to Go like through the motions and yeah. So how, but so how do you how do you in, instill a, a culture that allows you to be yourself? Because that, that that sounds great. It trickles down, man. It's, so it starts from the top. It trickles down. See the way I'm dressed. See the way I am. I am like that when I'm over there. I'm like that when I'm here, and I'm like that. Everywhere I go, I'm just me. And if I can be myself, I believe that everyone, it, in, it incentivizes people to be themselves as well. So the people that work here, I would, um, they have a high engagement rate. We use like office vibes. So it's like, uh, there's like automated surveys and we have a very high engagement rate. It's like over 80 or 85% that like People are actually filling out the surveys, you know, what do they like here, how they can improve, how we can improve. I mean, all of that is real stuff. And we want people engaged and we want people to know that if they have an issue, they can come and talk to us. You, you came to Montreal when, when you were eight. Uh, you, you've been in and out of the city, but you spent a long time here. And this is where you decide to incorporate and, and found your business. What, what, what are some of the, the pros that, it, that Montreal has being a startup in this city? And what are some of the, the challenges that you face being in a, in a market like Montreal? Yeah, well, I think that Montreal has plenty of pros. Uh, one of them is that I believe that the government is um, is active, is proactively helping us. So there are some programs, there's some free money that you can get. You know, you just need to do the right applications and the right research. And then you just need to document everything and then just apply, apply, apply. But there is some support. There's some heavy talent, specifically in the tech field. There's a lot of talent here. And when we compete against Silicon Valley, it's like, it's a no brainer because not only it's Canadian dollars that are our cost, but on top of that, we have the same talent that is costing us maybe half or a third of what the same guy in Silicon Valley is going to get, is going to ask for. What about, what about some of the challenges of being here though? Do you, how often do you go to Silicon Valley because you, you're just missing some of those, those resources here? I am not. I'm not in that uh, train. I'm not in that hype train of Silicon Valley. It's like we have the resources to do things here. We you can build done. here. We can invest here. We have talent here. We have amazing real estate. We have a great culture. Um, like I don't see the hype in Silicon Valley. It's everything is overpriced. Uh, all the companies are overvalued. There's a massive, massive problem over there. Like 
You saw it with Uber. Uber just launched his IPO and it tanked, like first day. There's a reason, it's because these $300 billion valuation, they don't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, like, are you gonna own like planet Earth and then another planet like in 10 to 15 years? Is that when I'm gonna find my return? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Right. So it's like, you gotta stay realistic. And here in Montreal, we're staying realistic about valuation. And we're staying realistic about our, our, our resources and all the, all the access to the tools that we have. So I, am, I, have no, um, I have no interest in always knowing what's going on over there. Because mm-hmm. while things are going on over there, there's some amazing things happening over here. And a lot of things, they stay under the radar. And we like, and we like it like yeah, that. It's better like that. It's, it's uh, the best kept secret. We are, we are setting our own mark and at some point it's going to blow up and everybody's going to be like Montreal, Montreal, Montreal. And a lot of investors are starting to look into Montreal. I'm talking to a lot, like most of the guys that I'm talking to are in in the U S they're like, yeah, we want to invest in Montreal. We're looking to invest in Montreal because they understand not only we got the IRAP program, we got shred, we got some some you know some good access to government loans we have some crazy crazy talent the real estate is amazing the place is amazing so it's like why would we need to be in silicon valley or try to be like silicon valley silicon valley has their own history and then we have ours Mm -hmm. and i'm about you know building where i'm from what's what's your best piece of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs the number one thing that i usually advise is to understand who you are and once you understand who you are then you're going to be able to know if you're an entrepreneur and if you want to jump into that world but in order to do that you have to understand who you are like you can only do that if you have a deep understanding and awareness of your own your own subconsciousness if you're enlightened enough to understand what what drives you what's your passions what are the things that, you know, makes your heart rate go up? Once you understand that, like who you are as a person, then you can think about, am I an entrepreneur? Am I ready to do these things? Is that what I really want to do? Why do I want to be an entrepreneur? Is it freedom? Is it money? Is it retirement? Is it whatever it is? But you got to understand that there's, there's reasons that the humans around us are doing the things that they do. Some people, you know, they worked at the supermarket and they're fine with that and we're fine with that. And some people, they become the general, you know, the GM of one of these big corporations. But my advice is you have to stay aware of where life is taking you. And is that where you want to go? Because a lot of people, they go blindly into, you know, through life and then they wake up at 60, 70, and they're like, fuck, man, all this time I was just some servant, you know, just serving the wheel of, of all these people. And, and I try to spark the brain of people around me so they understand that they need to know who they are. And it takes a lot of self-awareness. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like half an, an obvious point half a, a really important and difficult point of knowing who you are and what you want before jumping into to that thing so it's it's probably advice that you don't hear often enough when when people ask that kind of question um 
So I have to ask, what's your, in your opinion, what's your biggest career mistake so far, if any? I don't believe I have any. Uh, not that my path was perfect, is that the mistakes were required in order to build the thickness that I was talking about. It was required in order to get to the next level. It was required in order for me to understand what can I do better. It, there's, no, there's no way in hell that you know, the path of any human being is a straight line. You need to be able to go through these difficult situations in order to learn. So there's no like mistakes, like terrible mistake that I've done. Like, I really don't see it like that. I see it as like a learning curve. So I can't even give you one example where I'm like, I can't believe I did this. It's like, no, this, like, I know that my heart is in the right place. So I can't think about one Mm -hmm. mistake. Mm -hmm. I can just say, you know what? Make the mistakes, but just make sure that you get back on your feet and you learn from it. And it's going to put you on the stage to be able to say to all these other people, you know what, this is how it goes. If I were to come back five years from now and, and tell you Softdesk is a, is a massive success, w- what does that future look like to you? Well, first, Softdesk is already a massive success. Um, but what I can say is that five years from now, um, cause we're in the, we're in the position that a lot of big corporations wants us, wants to acquire us. So it's going to be up to us to decide whether or not we want to do it. But maybe five years from now, we may be, uh, partially owned by, you know, another corporation. Um, and me as an entrepreneur, I mean, I consider Softdesk, you know, to be a part of my journey. It's like, it's not the end road. And I believe that every real entrepreneur at heart, it's not about one company. It's about a journey of learning from one experience to the next. And it's finding that path to enlightenment. And I don't want to get blinded with my own hype, you know. Softdesk, great hype train. It's happening. We're racking numbers. We have great people. We're scaling. Things are going great. Things are looking great. But five years from now, if you go to Softdesk, of course, it's probably going to be here maybe under the same name, maybe another name is going to be at least 10, maybe 20 times bigger. But if you ask Lenny Moreno, I can only tell you that my journey here as a human is here to grow and to learn more. So I can't guarantee that I will still be, you know, with the same role that I have because my path is about growth. And I think that I can achieve great growth here and I am not closing my doors to all the other opportunities that I believe I can learn from. Lenny Moreno, co-founder and CEO of Softdesk. Yeah, so thanks a lot for having me. This is Lenny Moreno. You can find my work anywhere. It's always the same name. And um, hopefully I'll see you at the next one. All right, peace. To listen to more stories from local startup founders, visit montrealstartups.ca slash podcast, available on all your streaming platforms. If you have questions or comments about our show, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at montrealstartups.ca.